0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of The Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty-Eight, Miss Philura's Baby. When the Reverend Silas Pettibone had yielded to his wife's determined wish in the matter of the baby, he had been very far indeed from realizing the full significance of his act. He would have been ashamed to put his thoughts into words; would very likely have denied that they existed. his hospitality had appeared in the light of his imperfect masculine understanding to be not unlike that extended to a homeless little animal some people he knew strenuously objected to sheltering a forlorn half-starred kitten driving it from their doors with harsh cries of scorn and contumely as for a dog strayed or stolen they resolutely turned their backs on his pleading eyes and the voiceless eloquence of his persuasive tale Silas Pettibone was not that sort of man. Solidarity was not merely a word to him. He felt to his innermost fibre the mysterious oneness of life. So this little, unwelcome, unloved scrap of humanity should find shelter under his roof, permanent or temporary, as the case might be. But it was precisely this latter aspect of their quasi-parenthood which continually harassed his wife. If they should come to take him away! She was always saying, her eyes shadowed with fear. We should certainly have to give him up, was the minister's unbiased opinion. We have, you know, no legal right to the child. Oh, But she gave him to me, argued his wife. Mr. Pettibone shook his head. I was present, he would remind her. You walked calmly away with the child in your arms she merely allowed you to take him but she didn't want him that is true but uh, it was this but rooted in unknown conditions which haunted mrs pettibone and would not down the day after she had triumphantly carried her point with mrs hill Millie orne appeared at the parsonage she was the bearer of a parcel of baby clothes and an envelope which was found to contain banknotes amounting to a hundred dollars. In response to Mrs. Pettibone's eager questions, Milly said she had left Mrs. Hill the night before. The parcel had been delivered at the Orns by the expressman, who had been employed to fetch a wagon-load of trunks from the old Eggleston house to the railway station. Milly supposed the woman had left Innisfield. Grandfather had seen her driving past in a carriage her blue eyes persistently avoided mrs pettibone's what became of the young man asked the minister's wife a resentful blush sprang into the girl's averted face and mounted swiftly to the roots of her bright hair how should i know she murmured oh the exclamation was involuntary but mrs pettibone instantly regretted that she had allowed it to escape her lips Millie Orne was looking at her defiantly. I hope, she said coldly, I shall never see any of them again. Then unexpectedly, she was compelled to deal with several large tears which forced themselves into view on her lashes. I'm sure you'll think, oh, I know I'm very foolish, stammered Millie, whisking the tears away with a touch of anger, but I wish I hadn't gone there at all. Mrs. Pettibone forbore questions, but she could not help remembering with an uncomfortable sense of guilt that it was at her suggestion Millie had gone to the Eggleston farm. Anyway, you've earned the new roof, she reminded the girl, after an awkward silence during which Millie dried her eyes and successfully subdued her emotion. Oh, and the cow! That's surely something to be thankful for. The girl smiled forlornly. I did what I started out to do," she assented, staring out of the window. And presently, she added, you will keep the baby? Oh, I certainly shall," said Mrs. Pettibone, unless... It has been pointed out to us that the obvious uncertainty of everything in this, our earthly experience, magnifies our joys and puts, as it were, a cutting edge upon our powers of appreciation if one could be absolutely assured argue these wise philosophers that one's friends would never die one's house would never burn down and one's investments never fail life would become of a sudden utterly flat stale and unprofitable it is the keen sparkle of the unexpected the undreamed of even the apprehended which makes the draught in any way palatable Philura Pettibone watched the gradual unfolding of her rose of life with a tremor back of the joy. But it was no less a joy for all that and after months of peaceful and undisputed possession of the child she almost forgot the tragic face of his young mother. Almost, but not quite. There was the picture of the Huguenot lovers still hanging on the parlour wall. She had named the baby Stephen, after his unknown father, in a sudden passion of sentiment. and Afterwards she regretted her haste. There were so many splendid names for men and Stephen did so put one in mind of the first martyr. She preferred not to think of martyrs when she looked at the baby. And he was a baby, as Bishop Brooks used to say to the delighted mothers of his congregation. Not even the latest puffer could show such sparkling blue eyes she was glad his eyes were blue and not big and dark and passionate like his poor mother's and his hair curled really curled you know not merely stood on end under diligent applications of a wet hairbrush he was pink as pink as a healthy baby ought to be and of exactly the right fatness in a word little stephen pettibone as he was actually christened by the minister in church of a sunday morning Was a baby any woman might be proud to mother. It was wonderful too. What an all-round difference the baby in the parsonage made. Female parishioners of a critical, even censorious, turn of mind, who had heretofore merely scarified the minister's sermon, now stopped him in the street to ask after the baby. The fame of the baby went abroad as it were in all the land. Hard-fisted old farmers, driving loads of produce to town, broke into broad smiles at the sight of Mrs. Pettibone wheeling the perambulator. People came to call at the parsonage, who had never before darkened the door of the ministerial domicile. The baby, in short, was like a cheerful little fire, newly kindled on a cold hearth. People stretched their hand towards him with smiles, tardily realising how cold and frostbitten they had been. And the baby, basking in the universal approbation, thrived and grew like a lusty little tree in the sunshine. Every single day, Mrs. Pettibone confided to the minister, he is sweeter and lovelier than he was yesterday. The minister formed the habit of sauntering about till after the baby had had his bath. He found, to his surprise, that he could write better and more easily than ever before. His association with the baby appeared to have opened up entirely new regions of biblical truth. It was surprising how many trenchant sayings relating to children there were in the Bible. Mr. Pettibone had not noticed them before, being occupied with such themes as total depravity, the state of the unsaved soul after death, and kindred subjects suited to the joyless adult idea of Christianity. Love had already done much for the Reverend Silas Pettibone, but there had remained an unsunned side of his nature of which he himself was only dimly conscious so the moon may be cognizant of the cold sterility of its darkened hemisphere mrs pettibone had loyally believed her husband to be quite perfect as he was but she was not blind to the change in him she spent hours in secret teaching the baby to say a single word then one morning wonderful to relate her pupil prefacing his initial effort at speech with a ravishing smile said papa it was a." proud moment for both of them, and it was on that very morning that, for the first time, Mr. Pettibone put into words his own secret misgivings. ''If we'd never had him,'' he observed thoughtfully, ''we shouldn't have known what we were missing.'' ''I should have known,'' said Mrs. Pettibone, with a wise smile. She could say it now, without painful blushes. He looked at her intently. Observing with secret wonder the changes wrought by her quasi-motherhood, she had certainly grown plumper. Her eyes and cheeks and lips had taken on a look of youth. The lines of her arms and shoulders had changed subtly, as arms and shoulders will under a burden daily growing heavier, yet always more beloved. But if they should come now to take him, he went on, I'm afraid... Mrs. Pettibone was putting on the baby's cloak preparatory to taking him out for an airing she successfully extracted one pink fist from the sleeve she had first made into a nest and then proceeded to rumple up the other in a way mrs puffer had taught her why do you say that she asked reproachfully just as i was beginning to forget about it she kissed the baby passionately in the nape of his neck where fuzzy yellow curls were beginning to take advantage of his improved habits in the way of sitting up Do you know he's nine months old silas he'll soon be a year and we haven't heard a word from any of them oh never mind precious he didn't like to have his bonnet tied (gasps) indeed he didn't now he's going day-day there she achieved a smart bow under the protesting chin take him a minute dear while i put on my hat and wheel the carriage out he's sleepy he'll be sound the minute i take him out She was tucking the baby snugly in his perambulator, for, although it was April and the big maples were already brave with scarlet blossoms, the wind still flourished a keen edge which put one in mind of blue-white snows and unmelted ice to the northward. Mrs. Wessels, her head draped in a plaid tea-towel, stood looking on. That worthy woman was armed with a broom and dustpan, and her face was drawn into myriad puckers and folds of deliberate thought my my she exclaimed who would a thought one short year ago i'd be standin here on the parsonage stoop watchin mrs Pettibone all took up with a baby as i was sayin t wessels only yesterday she couldn't be no more took up i says if it was her own child And wessels he says it's wonderful how he thinks things out settin there by the stove she mightn't be so took up half as much he says positive if it was her baby I guess that's so, come to think of it. You'd feel easier and more different-like in your mind if... I don't see why you should think so, interrupted Mrs. Pettibone, grasping the handle of the perambulator firmly. She appeared slightly defiant, as if Mrs. Wessels had unwittingly touched upon a subject already uppermost in her mind. The baby is mine, she added positively. Just as much mine, as if... But you ain't adopted it legal, have you? inquired mrs wessels more for the sake of sustaining her pose of easeful contemplation than for any information she hoped to elicit when you sweep the parlor to-day mrs wessels i'd like you to wipe off the windows said mrs pettibone pointedly ignoring the question she added that the windows in question were very dusty yes i know they be agreed mrs wessels with a mournful sigh I noticed they looked somethin' terrible when I come along this mornin' and I says to myself, Louisa Wessels, I says, if you've the time and strength today, you must get round to wash off them windows for Mrs. Pettibone. They're a disgrace to the parsonage, I says, all streaked and gormed up. But I dunno, I got an awful gone feelin' to the pit of my stomach today, I says to Wessels this morning. If t'was anybody but Mrs. Pettibone, I was gonna work for, I believe I'd stayed home and took care of myself. But I know you wasn't one to take advantage of nobody. So I come and I'll do my best. If I can get round to them windows, I will. If I can't, uh, just you take a little kerosene on a rag and do em yourself. It won't take you no time. But I wouldn't leave them that way another week if I was you. Looks real slack. Uh, Where do you say I'd find the tea? Oh, guess I'll make me a cup before I do another liquor work. If you don't want, I should drop right down in my tracks. <laughs> and when I think o' wessels and all them children hangin' on to miss skirts, and me doin' a day's work for the vittles they put in their mouths, it does seem like I ought to take care of myself now, don't it? Mrs. Pettibone had moved slowly toward the gate during this exordium, pushing the perambulator before her she was embarked upon the smooth expanse of sidewalk beyond when she again heard the pursuing voice of mrs wessels and glancing back beheld that lady leaning reposefully upon the fence the chequered towel about her head fluttering gaily in the wind oh say mrs Petbone, she called out you're goin to the meat market i thought maybe you was i didn't see nothin but scraps of bacon in the ice-chest i just wanted to tell you if you was planning for my dinner let it be pork chops ain't nothing more tasty nor strengthening. oh uh, what ma'am, you don't think so, and you say minister don't like em to work on why well, learn <laughs> there ain't any victuals I know of that stands by you like fresh pork, and if it ain't too much trouble, uh, seen as you got the baby carriage and can bring it just as well as not, uh, can you fetch me ten cents worth of cat meat, uh, yes, ma'am, cat meat's what I said, it makes lovely soup. You didn't know that. <laughs> Being the minister's wife, you'll likely get a good bagful. You don't need to let on it's for me. Tell Kelly your cat eats real hearty. He does. For I've seen him at the baby's milk yesterday. Oh, you didn't know. Well, I tipped it over, getting some for me tea, and the cat licked it up. Oh yes. Well, save me the trouble of getting down on hands and knees. A cat's useful that way i'm going in now if the doorbell rings do you want i should call the minister if it's a peddler i won't no mum but I tell wessels mrs pettibone had already passed out of hearing trundling the carriage with its hood snugly drawn against the assaults of the wind she stopped at the post office and the postmaster handed her two religious papers an advertisement of a church organ and a letter directed in a firm masculine hand to mr pettibone She tucked the mail under the baby's blanket for safekeeping and proceeded on her way. Miss Elector Pratt, arrayed bleakly in a new spring suit of black-and-white check and a hat bristling with ribbon bows and impossible flowers, was just issuing from the portals of the trimmer emporium. "'Good morning, Flora,' she said. "'And how is the baby?' "'Dear me, I can't get used to seeing you out with it. I should think you'd feel kinda queer.' Queer echoed Mrs. Pettibone, she took advantage of the pause in her progress to peep under the hood. The baby was sleeping soundly, his long, dark lashes resting lightly on the warm rose of his cheek. Miss Pratt peeped too, isn't he an awful care? she asked. I notice you don't get time for ladies' aid any more, and you're hardly ever at church. Once in a while, Milly Orne takes care of him for me, Mrs. Pettibone said. I wouldn't trust him with anyone else. Miss Pratt's greenish eyes glittered unpleasantly. Well, I found out where you got him, she said. You might as well have told in the first place. You found out, echoed Mrs. Pettibone, and instinctively she braced herself for what might be coming. Miss Pratt giggled. (laughs) Tain't so hard to see through a millstone with a hole in it, once you take notice of the hole," she remarked acidly. He's the child of that young woman who was up to the Eggleston farm last summer. She ran away and left it and the other woman gave it to you. There was feline enjoyment in the eyes she fixed upon Philora Pettibone's agitated face. Oh, that don't surprise you none, of course, but maybe this will. Their name wasn't Hill at all, but Cruden. The day Al Fisher took the trunks down from the farm, I happened to be at the station inquiring for a package, so I took a good look at them. They was all marked C. And one of them had a card tacked onto it that had been scratched off with a pencil. As luck would have it, I had an eraser in my bag, so I rubbed it off and copied what I could see. It was Electa exclaimed mrs pettibone weakly oh you don't think it was real nice for me to find out something about your baby well i thought it was my christian duty you want i should tell you what i seen on that card mrs pettibone drew a tremulous breath i I don't know she murmured i, I guess you do said miss pratt anyway i was coming to tell the minister this morning i just got the letter the flowers in the new spring hat rustled like dried cats tails in the cold wind i don't believe i please don't electa i'd listen if i was you advised miss pratt strongly you'll have to know first or last the name on that card was mrs alexander cruden chilworth gardens chicago they came far enough away from home anybody'd suppose but as it happens uh, ma has a cousin livin out in chicago so i wrote to her and asked a few questions she didn't answer for a long while and i'd about give up but yesterday though the baby said mrs pettibone in a small weak voice I- he's waking up I-, I must be going home i'll walk along with you m philura volunteered miss pratt amiably i'd like to show mr pettibone the letter i got from my cousin matilda slicer She's an own cousin of Mars on the Smith side. You don't want I should. Well, I must say you're grateful, but you can't prevent me from telling Mister Pettibone, even if you did manage to marry him with your wonderful new thought. Oh, I know how you worked it, Filiora, and there's others. But Filiora Pettibone had fled hastily down a side street, and Miss Pratt forbore to follow. She was anxious to stop at her friend Mrs Buckthorn's. Who would she was confident appreciate to the full the news of which she was at present sole proprietor and purveyor. Mister Pettibone, as was his invariable custom, permitted his morning mail to lie unopened on the hall table. This method of procedure tending to a more complete concentration of mind on topics of an otherworldly nature. There was, not infrequently, food for disturbing thought in the party-coloured envelopes bearing tradesmen's names in the upper left-hand corner. It was true that his church, after strenuous and concerted effort, had at the time of his marriage paid all arrears of his salary in full. But since that date, the brethren had lapsed into an easeful complacence in view of the well-known frugality of the second Mrs. Pettibone. Everybody in Innesfield knew that Philura Rice had been as poor as the proverbial church mouse. Ergo, she was well accustomed to strenuous economy. And it would be a pity indeed to encourage this sinful extravagance which would undoubtedly obtain in the ministerial domicile under the urge of temptation in the subtle guise of a promptly paid salary. The minister's digestion being slightly impaired the letters were frequently allowed a still longer period of neglect while he played with the baby. The baby, newly awakened from his nap, was in capital form for a frolic, and Mr. Pettibone had acquired the useful and pleasant habit of devoting himself to the small, bright-eyed tyrant while his wife washed the dinner dishes. Mrs. Pettibone had not yet spoken to her husband of Elector Pratt's officious detective work, he would be indignant she was sure and after all electa had discovered nothing of any real importance she recollected as she polished the glasses that the young woman had said her name was sylvia cruden on the occasion of their first meeting in the eggleston woods of course Electa's discoveries would soon become common property, with such ingenious addenda as Miss Slicer, the Western cousin, chose to write and Electa to invent. It was all very disagreeable, but it could not affect her secure possession of the baby. She could hear his chuckles of infantile glee and the forensic voice of Mr. Pettibone as he recited Mother Goose rhymes for the baby's delectation. She smiled happily to herself electa pratt might talk all she liked so might mrs buckthorn so might the parish at large she hoped they would enjoy it mrs wessels had finished the sweeping in her own peculiar way a way philura pettibone would not have put up with a few short months ago but when one had a baby to care for other things must stand aside mrs wessels had not it was plain sufficient strength to wash the windows in the parlour it was early only half past one indeed when mrs pettibone set the last clean dish upon the shelf she decided that she would wash the windows herself the baby would be good he was always good she would arrange his toys on a thick comfort on the parlour floor and circumscribe his activities with the indispensable yard she would then be free to remove the indubitable traces of small, moist fingers from the window panes. Mrs. Wessels had referred to them as a disgrace to the parsonage. And Mrs. Pettibone reflected that she would have unqualifiedly agreed with Mrs. Wessels at an earlier stage of her career. She recalled her unspoken but no less harsh criticisms of Mrs. Puffer's window glass. N- now she thought she rather liked it. It looked as if there were children in the house she said it plainly in the privacy of her own thoughts and the words brought a delicate kindling of hope to her cheeks and eyes she was still looking very pink and pretty when she authoritatively interrupted the frolic in the study the baby she explained must have his dinner at once And she hoped Mr. Pettibone had not forgotten the meeting of the C.E. Convention Committee in the prayer meeting room at three. In reply to a half-hearted inquiry, she stated that in her opinion his second best preaching suit would be plenty good enough for the occasion. It was at this moment that Mr. Pettibone's divided attention became centred upon his mail, which Mrs. Pettibone kindly deposited upon his writing table. Then she held out her arms for the baby. There was a moment of delicious triumph for the minister when the small despot turned from the cajoling smile of the lady to hide his curly head against his breast. ''He likes me!'' cried Mr. Pettibone with fervid conviction, tempered only by an amazed incredulity. ''Of course he does!'' chimed in Mrs. Pettibone as she captured the baby and bore him away in triumph. He loves his daddy, bless him. He heard her cooing on the other side of the door. The religious newspapers received a passing glance promising an hour of future enjoyment, the alluring advertisement of church organs a renunciatory sigh as it found lodgment in an overcrowded waste-basket. But upon the letter addressed to himself in an unknown hand and postmarked with the name of a distant city. He spent a motionless, abstracted half-hour. End of chapter 28